about to be spoken. What is going on, everyone? It is another edition of the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, Episode 2. We are broadcasting from the Blue Chew Studios. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code HARDY at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. And it is a wonderful time to be here, Matt Hardy, because you and I are in person for Episode 2 already. That's uh, That was very quick. <laughs> We're not playing here. We're not playing here. Again, last week we, we had some technical difficulties at times with the podcast backwoods of North Carolina. It happens, but we are so, so happy that everyone got a chance to peek into the extreme mind of Matt. And we even got Jeff to show up. Yeah. Uh, the Hardy boys breaking down the fabled and iconic 1999 no mercy ladder match. What to do. What a fun time that was. And I could see, and this was the coolest part for me, seeing the genuine enjoyment in your face and especially Jeff's face. It was like this solace going back in time and, and just reliving those moments in real time. Uh, it, it is. I mean, uh, we, we definitely look upon that tag team ladder match with very fond memories. Uh, that's the match that put us on the map. Uh, that, that's the match. It's so special. And we really... That was our opportunity to become breakout wrestling superstars. So, so obviously, whenever we look back at that, it's always always puts a huge smile on both of our faces. Well, again, we're so appreciative of the feedback that we've gotten here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy so far. It's been so much fun putting these episodes together with you. I, I've really enjoyed it. And what I've also enjoyed is seeing the response from everybody. Yeah. This is a really cool endeavor. Yeah, this is uh, this is so much fun. And uh, considering we're just starting things, I can't wait to continue riding out this adventure. So let's get to it. Why don't we? Because, Matt, in our first episode, we went to the past, but now we take it to the present. And that's what we're doing with the extreme life of Matt Hardy. His career spans so many different eras that we are afforded this opportunity to actually go and go from 30 years ago to quite literally less than a year ago. Yes. And I think that's cool. So what are we talking about today, my friend? Today, we are talking about Hangman Adam Page. Cowboy shit. Cowboy shit, yeah. Cowboy shit is over. People love cowboy shit. <laughs> it's the only time shit's ever been over. I mean, I'm, if you ask Vince McMahon, shit's over a lot more <laughs> than just that. But cowboy shit is definitely the real deal these days. Hangman Adam Page, as we record this, still the AEW World Heavyweight Champion. Always possible that that may not be the case by the time this is released. Uh, that's true. And uh, I, I got to say, though, uh, I loved his one-hour uh, Ironman match, the draw with uh, Brian Danielson. I always want to call him Daniel Bryan. It's still stuck in my head. <laughs> with Brian Danielson. And uh, I, was, I loved their last match that they just had. And it was great that there was a definitive winner. Let me ask you this, because I am very much all over wrestling Twitter, as are you. And... I see mixed opinions all the time on draws because I think this era of wrestling has never really dealt with draws on this mainstream scale. WWE doesn't do time limits anymore outside of Ironman matches. Right. What are your thoughts on draws and how they're used in wrestling? I think the A the AEW fan base, I think they appreciate them. I think they're okay with it. Uh, I actually look back at the quarter hours of, of that rating and it actually went up as the match went on. So, I mean, that that's kind of the evidence that you need to say that draws are successful. I mean, especially if you have two guys who can really bust their asses and they can make an hour super entertaining and compelling. Uh, and those are two guys that can, Brian Danielson and Adam Page. And I love that they took inspiration from all these great 
long Ironman caliber matches along the way for that yeah. the, the finish a nice allusion, in my opinion, to uh, Domin- the first Dominion match between Kenny Omega and Okada, where it just can't quite crawl over to get the pinfall was Hangman Page. I thought it was really, really excellent. I'm with you entirely. And Hangman has seen this genesis happen, and that was a big part of it. Yeah, and, and I think, too, in that scenario, considering uh, Brian Danielson hasn't been here that long, he's still been undefeated, I think that was a great way to continue that story and you get another match out of it. And I, I don't think people are going to be disappointed by them going to a draw and having another match. I, I think there's going to be anticipation from the current AEW fans because they really love wrestling. They're diehard wrestling fans and look at it very sports centric. Well, I love wrestling. You love wrestling. And that's why we're here today talking about Hangman Adam Page. And it's funny when I announced that we were doing an episode on Hangman Page, people were like, why, why should I care? Like Matt Hardy's involvement with Hangman Page, like they, they had one feud and all that. But Matt's story goes so much deeper with Hangman. And you, when I pitched the idea to you, your, your eyes lit up and you were like, mm-hmm. this is going to be great. Why is this going to be a great topic to discuss? Uh, I know Hangman was a big fan of the Hardy Boys when he was growing up. Obviously, he's much younger than I am. And he related to myself and Jeff. He also grew up on a farm. Uh, he farmed tobacco, much like myself and my brother did. You know, it, it grew up in a very country, rural environment. And the first book that he read in his favorite wrestling book of all time, he just told me is exist to inspire. And that's what he's like, man, these guys are like me, you know, they're from the South. Uh, they were farmers. They, they grew up in tobacco. Their far- their dad did tobacco. Like my dad did as well. And he, he more or less lived on a farm. And he's like, if these guys can be wrestlers, then I, I could do it too. You know, so that's so cool that that was like inspirational to him and, and motivational to him. And you have crossed paths much more, than just once in AEW with him. Your story goes back far, which is why we're talking about him in episode two. So let's get to it. Last week, we heard that Matt Hardy never met a ladder, that he was afraid of. What is Matt fact number two here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy? Matt fact. Matt once donated $900,000 to charity in Hangman's name. Well, we're going to find out more about that here on episode two as we talk Hangman Adam Page. Hangman Adam Page, of course, is ring name Stephen Blake Woltz, born on July 27, 1991, grew up in Halifax County, Virginia. They just had a chance to go back to Virginia for his first episode as champion, which I thought was really cool. How meaningful was that for him? I mean, it, that, that had to be special. I mean, that was timed out very well. And that's one of the things I love that AEW really does well. When they go to people's hometowns, they they paint them in a good light. They put them in a good situation. You told me a story that I'm sure we'll repeat later on this podcast, but it was about the first TLC match, which was in North Carolina. And Vince McMahon specifically said something about you guys not winning in the hometown. Is that correct? Well, that was supposed to be our big win. Mm-hmm. And then he said, well, it's too predictable. Everybody <laughs> in that venue is going to know you're going to win and they're expecting you to win. So I don't want to do that. Let's do it the next show. And <laughs> I think sometimes that's a good thing, especially yeah. when you have baby faces that are over, that have been in this long rivalry and, and the fans want to be rewarded with this proper payoff. I would have loved to have had the win there. I think that'd been the time to, to do the win and also be the champions. And also it would have kind of uh, changed the, the history of the TLC matches a little bit. Huh? Yeah. But Vince is a big advocate of if you're over as a baby face, there's times where you don't need to win. It doesn't make a difference. You know, and that, that's kind of how we were looked at. Yeah. We didn't ever have to win in those environments because we, we were so beloved in so many ways. And I think there is some merit to that argument. Yeah, too. There, there, there is some merit to it, too. But then, like, you know, when if you want people to, to look at wrestling as a serious 
competition, sure. it, you know, even though it's entertainment, I, I think there are times where you have to pull the trigger and you have to give an act, even if they're still going to be popular, whether they win, lose or draw, you got to give them that respect and, and, and show them that win and let the people know like, oh, these guys really are winners. So I'm glad to support them. Yeah. Well, more than a decade ago, Hangman was trained by WWE Hall of Famer, handsome Jimmy Valiant, who himself was, of course, a trainee of Vern Gagne. So I think that's kind of a interesting connection indirectly using the transitive property hangman page has relation all the way back to Vern Gagne, who many fans listening to this are familiar with one of the greatest territory minds of right. all time do you see that translate through his game that old school influence at all because i definitely do I, d I definitely see uh an old school influence on adam page uh the way he works we'll talk about this later in the match but uh whenever we structured our match revolution like i love the way he did it he 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 helped me put it together in a very smart way because he he gets it too like i think he would almost prefer to work more of an old school style where it's a, uh, a little slower you tell more of a story you sell and it's, it's crystal clear what the message you're trying to deliver in a match is he's like the perfect what would be the right word like hybrid wrestler there's a lot of yep. old school in him but he can whip out an acai moonsault he can take all that stuff out too. And I think that makes him really special. Very, very much so. I agree with it. Yeah. So he has great background training, obviously, mm -hmm. but while he's training and wrestling, he's also getting a bachelor degree in just two years from Virginia tech while teaching journalism and graphic design in high school. So clearly he's a smart guy. Do you see that translate through when you're talking to him or when he's putting matches together? Yes, very much so. And he's a very creative guy too. Like uh, the way his brain works is, is highly creative and he doesn't get like stuck in the same patterns. A lot of people in wrestling will kind of have patterns in their mind of like how an angle or a story or a match will go. And I feel like with Hangman, in my experience with him, he, he doesn't get stuck in those patterns. He's always thinking new. He's always thinking original content, original creative, uh, original layout of a match. Well, the first time that you ever have a match with him is May 3rd, 2013. It's a Northeast wrestling event in Waterbury, Connecticut, which is not too far from where I went to school. And I was in school at this time, actually, in Connecticut. A five-way tables, ladders, and chairs match. So talking about last week, the influence from the yeah. No Mercy ladder match carrying through all the way even on the Indies level. Listen to the talent in this match. Hangman, yourself, Brian Anthony, Caleb Conley, who's had a really nice run in Impact himself, right. and Lucas Sharp. It sounds like an insane match to me. Anthony actually wins that one. Do you have any recollection of that match? And do you remember what your impressions were of Hangman? Was this the first time you ever met him? I'm pretty sure we had met before. Okay. Uh, and, and there were even times when I was working uh, with the WWE and I would still sometimes visit indie shows. I remember seeing him around. He was a new up and coming guy and there, were, there was a lot of buzz on him. And I spoke to my good friend, Shane Helms, and I know he was keeping a close eye on the indie scene then. And he was one of the guys that he always uh, thought was going to be a future star. You know, he, he was a can't miss prospect uh, that night of the TLC match. I remember chatting with him. We were talking about our background, our, our upbringing a little bit, you know, both of our dads being tobacco farmers and, uh, and and that whole deal. And I remember him telling me how he thought it was so cool that he was actually going to be in a ladder match, TLC match with Matt Hardy, especially after growing up watching us being a fan of the Hardy. Force. He was just 21 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Did he look like a kid? Uh, yes. I mean, he looked young. It, yeah. He he definitely has matured a lot over the last 10 years or so. He's a hangman dad now. Uh, he is a hangman <laughs> dad. Yeah. I'm very proud of him. He's a good dad too. A, a good responsible. He's just a, a good quality person. Yeah. 
well, if he wants to really follow in the Matt Hardy footsteps, he's got a few more kids to go until yeah. get it. By the way, our show is sponsored to you by Blue Chew. Uh, if anybody would like to get in on that and get on Matt Hardy's level, you can certainly. I mean, that, that's how you can have a gaggle of kids. <laughs> never used, never heard that uh, term used to describe that, but okay. Uh, shortly after that match, he actually starts working in the promotion that you helped found and Shane Helms was running it at the time with him. You just mentioned that Shane mm -hmm. was a big part in helping bring hangman to the show. Yeah. His first match there is May 25th, 2013. He beats Mickey Gambino. So does he get that match because of the NEW match? He just made? Did you put in a good word or was it more Shane just being like, I think this guy can. Yeah. I, Shane was definitely on the pulse of town at that time. He was a little less busy with his actual in-ring wrestling career than I was. And he was kind of like uh, marketing towards being a promoter of Omega. And that was a deal that we had worked out and agreed upon. So he, he booked him initially, but I remember watching at him and thinking like oh my god this was really good like he, he could be a building block if we do have this rebirthable mega and it goes for a while and i know shane had already said he had already planned to book him for a championship he wanted to create which was going to be the inter carolina championship i guess to be defended between north and south carolina much like the intercontinental <laughs> title, title was uh but but that was going to be shane's plan he was going to put the inter carolina championship on adam page eventually so he'd go on to have six matches in omega pro including one against Trevor Lee, now known as Cameron Grimes. And, you know, we'll say this too, you and I were talking. Yeah. And I think in the future, we're going to have an episode on Cameron Grimes, Trevor Lee. That should be a fun one as well. 100%. And I say this all the time. I was literally there when he was born. <laughs> so in the hospital born. So he is a de facto Hardy in that sense. Yeah. Now, Hangman would also team with Corey Hollis to form Country Jacked. Do you have any recollection of, of that tag team? I, I do. I, I remember them a bit. Not very strong. Uh, I remember when we teamed with him uh, in, in that big tag match, and he was also very excited about that. He's like, oh, these are also two of the guys I grew up idolizing and, and really enjoying, Matt and Jeff Hardy. You know, I'm sure a lot of kids in the South that had her same lifestyle obviously did, you know, because it seems like if these two guys from North Carolina who had no connections in the business, grew up in the middle of nowhere, if they can make it, then I can too. So I remember he said that was really enjoyable that he got a team with us. And, and we had a good match with those guys, too. They were both really talented as a team. But but Adam has always stood out as being a future star. He's had everything. And on top of being so smart creatively and the way he executes matches, uh, he just he has a great look, too. He's got he's got a very he's got a nice face, very chiseled, just a good looking dude. He was so boyish back then, though. Like, even if you look at his, oh, my God, yeah. honors, I mean, he looks like a young kid and he was a young kid. yeah he was 21 22 years old had the it was like a quasi mullet but not quite and it, it was just very boyish so i think that was one of the things with hangman and i think it's going to become a central theme of this episode is that some people saw it immediately in hangman that yes this guy's got potential but there were others that i think had to be convinced and there's nothing wrong with that there's talent that all the time you're like okay that guy's got something but will mm -hmm. it translate eventually right. as they get older do you see that a lot with talent yeah i i, I do i mean I, I feel like there's a lot of times i'll see people that like this guy has got so much potential but there will be someone who thinks he has a flaw in some certain category or a weakness in some certain category and they, they think that would stop him from being as big of a star as he could be but sometimes i feel like it's very important as a promoter or as a booker you really highlight those strengths and you try and work on the weaknesses underneath that, but you highlight the strengths first and foremost. Well, that's what I always talk about on Twitter, accentuating positives, hiding weaknesses. I feel like that's a huge part of wrestling. And I think, honestly, AW 
had to figure that out with Hangman a little bit. I think he was kind of thrown out there, and we will talk about that. He was kind of thrown out there to sink or swim, and then they had to figure out, okay, how do we adjust with this on the fly? So uh, that's a big theme with Hangman. Well, you mentioned that tag match. Uh, he teams with you and your brother and his other partner, Corey Hollis, mm-hmm. on September 20th, 2014, to defeat the Bravado brothers, Otto Schwanz and Trevor Lee. So there's a lot of intertwined roads here that Hangman and I, I honestly didn't even know that Hangman and Cameron Grimes had that much of a connection either, even coming from the same territory. Yeah, I want to say, too, that they they kind of came up together, like in the CWF area, PWX, some of the indies. In, in North Carolina, which were the, the prominent indies. Uh, they, they both worked there quite a bit. Well, that was in 2014, but we have to circle back just a little bit because right. you have your first mainstream match with Hangman, <laughs> and that is in Ring of Honor. It's that final battle. Before we talk about that match itself, we, we just saw recently Ring of Honor had its last final battle for the foreseeable future as of now we right. don't really know what the future of ring of honor looks like i always looked forward to final battle because i knew that was wrestlemania for ring of honor right and you'd see those insane ladder matches with el generico and kevin steen and i really enjoyed what you were doing there as well uh, around that time what was it like competing at the hammerstein ballroom at final battle against a young kid like hangman page uh, I, I love the experience. I love being in that venue. Uh, I love that Ring of Honor crowd, especially because for me, it was super easy to be a hill. Well, they didn't love you. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, I mean, it, it was a, it was a layup. It was a very easy deal for me because that was, you know, that was the early beginning of the modern fan, you know, where like we we pay attention to the Internet. We read uh, wrestling journalists, dirt sheets right. or newsletters. And we know what's going on. So they knew, too. I'd just been through a tough point in my life where I'd burn out on all levels. And I was just coming back. And internally, I was great. And as a person, I was probably better as a person than, than I'd ever been. But they did not want to hear it. You know, they, they didn't want to see Matt Hardy. They didn't want to interact with Matt Hardy. And it felt like it was a WWE sellout mm-hmm. invading the Ring of Honor show. And, like, they have their underground favorites. It's almost like a cult following of these Ring of Honor competitors and stars. And if a WWE guy was going to come in there, one of Vince's guys, then they they weren't going to have anything to do with that. No, they certainly were not. And they didn't have any of it on this particular evening before you guys even can do your handshake. They are all over you. They are not Matt Hardy fans tonight. You throw your t-shirt into the crowd. You knew, you had to know it was going to be thrown back. Right? Uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a regular thing at ring about yeah. it. That was like my, my gig there. Uh, I really, <laughs> I, I, I really did have uh, a line or two. I was going to say on the mic and then the heat was just so much. I was just like, I'm not yeah. going to speak. I yeah. just, uh, that was like on the fly doing that. Um, so, so that match was a, a lot of fun. I, I knew Adam was a talented guy. Cause obviously I'd seen him around uh, the North Carolina Indies. And I know he'd done some of our mega shows. But like working Adam that night was just more or less thrown to the show, thrown on the show to kind of get me started back because I was going to be the mentor for Adam Cole. And it was going to be my job to try and heat him up and make him into a big hill uh, and, uh, and and try and uh, make him as high as he could possibly be. Yeah. We've all heard the saying, right? New year, new me. Sometimes you set your resolution high, like maybe buying a new car or a new house. Others... They just want to try to eat healthy. So I'm here to tell you about a great way that you can do that. I'm, of course, talking about Magic Spoon. You see, growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. But 
I knew that I kind of had to give all that up when I realized how much sugar and junk that you really shouldn't be putting into your body. Here's the good news. Magic Spoon changes the game in that regard. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's only 140 calories per serving as well. And I know we're about all the trends. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Beauty is it also comes in a variety pack. If you want four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, it's all summoning to those great foods of your youth. It tastes exactly like it. But it's super nutritious. All you got to do to get your hands on this stuff, go to magicspoon.com forward slash hardy to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code hardy at checkout. You get to save $5 off of your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in its product that it's all backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember... Get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash hardy and use the code hardy to save $5 off. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. And I'm last number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. Savewithconrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at Savewithconrad.com. We will talk a lot about your Rig and Bonner run at some point on this podcast, but I want to bring up a point about this. You have so much heat in the beginning of this match. And right. It's all directed at you. Right. And it's not, though, we want Hangman to beat you. It's we fucking hate Matt Hardy. Yes. And your job in this match is clearly to go out there and make Adam Page look great. You do end up picking up the win, but your, your job is to get some shine on, on Hangman mm-hmm. Page in the process. Do you run a risk of taking away too much from doing that job when the crowd is just so focused on hating you does that make any sense like it doesn't make it hard to do your job of getting shine on hangman or does it make it easier i i think it makes it easier and and the whole point of that match really was it was it was really just to give adam page a rub against uh an established superstar who is a a global household name in so many ways i mean because regardless of what those fans think about me uh, there's no denying anywhere in the world uh, where wrestling is available on television, I can get off a plane and people will recognize me. They know who I am just because I've had so much great TV time over the last 25 years. So, so, so my job in that match was more or less to get a strong win, be a heel, and establish myself so I could hook up with Adam Cole and, and keep him moving forward as he is the, the, the future that, Ad, that, uh, that Ring of Honor was looking to try and promote in the biggest way possible. And I asked that question because I – was looking up a lot of feedback from that match Mm -hmm. and I don't know and this is not a fault of your own per se but just the nature of the night and the environment if Hangman Page necessarily at least from a perception standpoint got what the people at Ring of Honor were hoping and and I'm going to take a excerpt here from the Wrestling Observer newsletter Mm -hmm. Uh, Hardy got serious tried to put Page away by taking the pad off the floor for the side effect 
Page was not down with this. Page countered the first twist of fate with a backslide for two and countered twice more for different near falls. Hardy finally thwarted a Page crossbody, hit the twist of fate, and pandered before pinning Page. Very short match. And although Page was portrayed as holding his own against Hardy, I doubt this was the rub most fans were hoping for by putting uh, these two together in the opener. The match just got a little above three stars here in seven minutes and 20 seconds. Do you agree with that assessment? I mean, the, the match wasn't made for Adam Page, though. I mean, literally, that match was just made for me. He was he was fodder at this juncture, you know, and that's no slight on him. But the match was about me and establishing me once again. Uh, for him, just because he was a, a, a new guy at Ring of Honor, it was uh, giving him a rub against someone who was a, a legitimate veteran and well-known person in the industry. And I think it's important, too, to note that he is literally 22 years old here, and it's so early for him that I think that now the way a lot of people look at wrestling, it's like, well, this person's a young gun. They got to be shot to the moon right away. Like, like they got to get that huge push yeah, right away. Well, but maybe it's okay to do a slower burn. Of course. Sense. I mean, of course it is. Wrestling fans sometimes just become obsessed with like wanting stuff. So immediate as opposed to waiting. And the old guy's got to put over the young guy. You know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, sometimes it's very frustrating because they claim to be the smartest fans, but they have to, to realize in the big scheme of things, things, things are done for a purpose in, mm -hmm. in, in, in most cases, if you have a good booker. And in this case, it helped Adam just by competing and having a competitive match with Matt Hardy, someone who's known and well-established. And then at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt him to get beat because he hasn't really been established at all anyway. You know, and then it was going to benefit me because it gives me someone who is talented and can help make me look good. And then once again, uh, propel me into what I'm doing next with Adam Cole. So you have this match, probably the hottest crowd he's ever worked in front of, I would have to imagine to this point, Hammerstein Ballroom, it, it, New York it, City. It, it, at least the most vocal. Yes. <laughs> so what were your impressions of how he handled that match? He was great in the match. I remember being really impressed with him. Uh, I remember thinking his uh, shooting star press off the apron was a, was a, a crazy wild move. Uh, and, it, and it was cool. And I could tell at that time that he got it early on. Mm -hmm. You know, he obviously has improved massively since then, but I could tell early on that he got it. Yeah. And it's so crazy because again, the concept here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy is to take the past and bring it to the present. But this isn't all that long ago when, things are considered this is nine years ago and it's not even nine full years ago right and it's pretty surreal to see how much evolution both of you have gone through since i have you obviously to no pun intended here an extreme but but he himself yeah. as well and that's what i'm really excited to talk about with this episode because i think this episode is very much about a young wrestler finding himself and that's something that you were very lucky that you found yourself at a pretty young age with the Hardy Boys stick, 24 years old, as we discussed last week. But for some guys, it just takes a little bit longer. Yeah, no doubt. And I think he was always destined to get there. And it just kind of takes a while. I think as time goes on in wrestling, much as I've said in the past, being one of the Hardy Boys really wasn't my strength or, or my gig. Uh, working that style, I, I could do. Uh, I feel like I was really highlighted and i felt like i really found my identity when i started doing matt hardy version one the sensei of mattitude because once again i think i i'm i'm at my best when i'm playing an over the top larger than life character matt hardy over the top no way yeah imagine <laughs> that i'm i'm not bsing you every single person i've spoken to about this podcast is like 
you guys are gonna have mad facts every week right i'm like hell yeah we are so the most uh, most famous mad fact matt strongly dislikes mustard and that's a shoot right yeah no no without yeah, a doubt without a doubt total shoot. Yeah. yeah it's funny i uh they were very beloved but that is without a doubt the most popular I, i've talked about this too my mentor in the broadcasting industry is ian eagle who's one of the top play-by-play guys in the country and he hates condiments of all sorts all sorts not just mustard ketchup relish whatever and one of the coolest moments of my career was we were both working the same nba game he had no idea that i was there and i show up behind him with just like a bottle of mustard and just put it right in front of him and i thought to myself after i was thinking of these matt hardy facts i was like well fuck if i brought a bottle of mustard here to this taping in person i don't know if i'd be able to record this whole episode with him. so i'm grateful that you've spared my life here uh, well, i don't know why you would torture that I, man i don't know why you would torture me i i like you man <laughs> anyway so hangman really turns up from this point on we start to see more sides of him in ring of honor he starts bringing the lasso and and then eventually the noose and yeah. he's not just working in ring of honor he's also working in new japan and he joins bullet club in 2016 yeah. and this is around the time that ring of honor but especially New Japan is starting to get real hot. What did you think of New Japan around this time? And how beneficial is it for a guy like Hangman, who at this time is in his mid-20s, to go out there and get that experience? Uh, hugely beneficial. Uh, working in Japan, especially for a New Japan, is uh, is one of those experiences you can't value it enough. I mean, because it truly is. It is a great learning experience. And him being associated with the Young Bucks, I think, was also very beneficial for him because those guys were already kind of ingrained in that system. And they're both, once again, both extremely creative and they're not stuck on a pattern. They're always doing stuff in the most original way possible. So I think not only human beings were very similar, but also creatively they were very similar. And I remember keeping a close eye on Adam during this time and how his growth, it was like by leaps and bounds, he was becoming better and bigger and more important and really standing out as someone who demanded to be seen as a star and i think the beauty of the story here with hangman is that aw but especially these three four five guys were not afraid to reach back into their history to help tell these stories today yeah i think that's something that a lot of wrestling fans really appreciate there, there are some promotions out there and it's not just ww there are other promotions who like to pretend that history didn't happen uh, yeah <laughs> that's one thing i love about aw yeah. they acknowledge the entire professional wrestling universe you know it's all canon yeah but like with wwe all that exists to them or the way they try and write it is just the wwe universe and stuff that happened yeah. in wwe unless they eventually purchase something like wcw <laughs> then it's allowed to be part of the history <laughs> but it's not just i want to this is not like matt hardy shoots on wwe like i don't want the headlines that there are other promotions and independent promotions and all that stuff who act like their promotion is the only place that history happens so sure uh, of course i mean that that's just one of those things mm -hmm. and i get it from vince's branding perspective you yeah. know why he does things that way and it's not a knock on them it's just yeah. it's just how it is just how it is you sure. know and and one thing I, I i love tony khan because he is a diehard wrestling fan at his core and that's why he does acknowledge all the wrestling yeah you know the wrestling universe is bigger than aw he'll be the first one to acknowledge that and we'll uh, we'll say that on air, you know, and acknowledge it. And I think the fans appreciate that because we're not insulting their intelligence. So he's getting a lot of work in New Japan, Ring of Honor, and he's got a lot of momentum come yeah. around the end of 2018. He defeated Joey Janela at All In. 
All In is probably not something we're ever going to really talk about here again on this podcast. So what were your impressions of All In? Because you were in WWE at the time. Uh, I, I watched it. I remember all the buzz that was uh, going on around it. Uh, I watched it and I thought it was great. And I was like, wow, if this becomes something, it becomes something very special. And I'm sure you weren't alone in WWE and watching All In either. I'm sure I wasn't either, yeah. Well, he's firmly aligned with the elite at this point. They're leaving Ring of Honor and the recruitment is on. He's rumored to have received the highest offer by anyone ever to become a full-time NXT talent and be the face of the brand. When I think of Paul Levesque, Triple H, yeah. I imagine he sees a guy like Hangman Page and is enamored with him. Hangman checks all the boxes that, I, I mean, I've especially, gone to- Especially for Triple H. Yes, I've gotten to know Paul a little bit yep. and it just seems like Hangman would be the guy that yes. he would be fully confident in putting the brand behind. What did you think of his recruitment at this point? Did you have any conversations because you were in WWE? Did you have any conversations with him about coming in? And do you think that he would have been a good fit in that system? He would have been extremely interesting in NXT. Uh, and he would have been, I have confidence he would have probably done okay on the main roster too, if given a fair opportunity. You you never know there. It's, 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 it's a, a guessing game. It's it, it all, yeah. Yes, it is. It's a crapshoot, right? In this day and age, if you're a new guy who is established elsewhere and jumping on the main roster, you never know what you're going to get. It might not follow the career trajectory that your path has taken, taken to get you there. So long story short, I didn't talk to Adam page, but I did speak to the young bucks a lot and they were also in negotiation. All the, the WWE was trying to get all these guys. They yeah. wanted to lock them all down. And they were going to go to the main roster as was Cody. This is long talked about. They've talked about this multiple yes. times. Hangman was going to go to NXT. They were going to go to the main roster. But, but I do know that, uh, Triple H trips was all over those guys as far as trying to get them in. And they were, they offered them a ton of money and I know they did hangman as well, you know, cause they, they really want to secure them. And you just got to think how different would the current present look if those guys did leave radically different and go to WWE radically, different. you know, it, you and it, I wouldn't be having this conversation yeah, right yeah. now. I mean, AW, it, it maybe does not happen at that juncture. No, I stand by all in first off, the single most important thing that's happened in modern wrestling history was Dave Meltzer tweeting that people wouldn't be able to draw 10,000 people in an arena. And then Cody Rhodes saying, let's bet a dollar. That's the single most important thing that happened in modern wrestling history, which is so insane, but it's true because that leads to all in yeah. all in leads to AEW and everything just kind of steamrolls from there. So did you have any conversations with triple H? Cause I know you have a good relationship with Paul. Uh, did you have any conversations about any of those guys? Uh, I talked to him about the bucks. Some. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, and I, and I like, Triple H. I, I've got to say that I think once Hunter kind of more or less actively retired from wrestling and focused everything on heading up NXT, I mean, he, he was so great uh, as a coach, a, as a booker, and he really cared about the talent and he really did all he could to help him. Uh, I can say that about Shawn Michaels as well at mm -hmm. NXT. I mean, I hear so many great things about yeah, both of those guys. Too. But yeah, I had, I had a great, when we went back to WWE, I had a great relation with uh, Triple H. Yeah, and it is really interesting to think about what a Hangman Page NXT run would have looked like, because I think it would have been very successful, personally. Beyond that, who's to say? But I think an NXT run would have been very successful. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Hangman Page, if he would have went to NXT, he would have been one of the top guys, without mm -hmm. a doubt, and he would have been one of the guys carrying the brand. And I think he would have done well, and I think Triple H would have booked him in a very uh, positive and correct way. Sure. Instead, 
Hangman becomes the first person to reveal on being the elite that AEW is even going to be a thing. He turns his cell phone around yeah. and the world sees the AEW logo for the first time. He's the featured player in the January 8th, 2019 press conference in Jacksonville. I was there for that. He says that he's going to become the first AEW world champion before he's interrupted by PAC. <laughs> now, I remember interviewing Hangman that day. And in comparison to who I spoke to that day versus who I spoke to after full year, it is night and day difference between yeah. the two human beings. Do you remember? Did you watch that press conference by chance? Or I did. Highlights yes. from it at least. Yes. I, uh, I I I was excited, and I knew it was something that the wrestling industry needed. You know, we we needed more places for other guys to work. You know, especially if there was going to be a a major company set up with you know a true owner behind it that had some finances that could push it into something good. And that is obviously the case with, with Tony Khan. So, yeah, I, I kept up with all that stuff very, very closely. And I uh, obviously am very close friends with Matt and Nick, sure. the young bucks. So uh, I was watching everything and I knew AEW was a destination. If this thing takes off, like they were planning on it, taking off, I knew it was a destination I would probably end up at. Did you see hangman specifically at that press conference and remember having thoughts about him being in the main title picture right away? The, the, the first thing that I thought about seeing Adam on that press conference was like, man, this guy's growing and like proud, you know, you're proud when you see guys, especially from your area, guys who have, taking the path of doing indies because they're passionate about wrestling and they're trying to do it right. And they work hard and they bust their ass and to see someone grow. I mean, you almost feel like a proud Papa, you know, e even though he obviously isn't my child, you know, I, I uh, was able to, I, I was able to feel good about it because he was one of the guys that, that grew up in, in my area and he had these dreams and aspirations and he made it. Well, he starts to have a little bit of a slow start in AEW. He, he gets kind of thrust right into the championship scene. he, loses to Chris Jericho it feel Chris Jericho is monumentally the bigger star in that match it's right. not even close yeah and the crowns aren't really connecting with hangman right away did you see that happening were you cognizant of that or were you viewing it from a little bit of a different perspective having known him? yes I'm, I'm viewing it from a different perspective I, I think hangman is a guy who has all the potential in the world but I think you have to establish him to the to the audience like that and putting the belt on jericho was 1000 percent the right call you have someone who is known world over one of the legit goats the greatest of all time uh jericho was the right call on that and i thought just adam being in that match and hanging with chris like he did was a huge rub for him and and it was going to be a process to get him over and actually figure out exactly where he was and also to figure out how the crowd actually viewed him that's one of the things you that, that sometimes takes a while especially once you first start being on television or pay-per-view or whatever the whatever the avenue is you have to understand how the crowd views you to like tweak your character to to become more over with the crowd all right listen we're all adults here and i know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax focus or maybe even just unwind after a long day well i'm here to tell you that lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum lozenges and pouches for adults who are looking for the best most responsible way to consume their nicotine it's a new year, 2020, right? Finally here. Well, why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product they can feel good about? Now, I've had many family members over the years who had struggles switching from cigarettes, and I wish they had a product like this that would have made the process so much easier with so much versatility and dynamics in terms of different flavors and options. So if you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's lucy.co. 
and use promo code PARTY at checkout. Also, I have to read this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co. Be sure to use that promo code PARTY. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. I'm sure these days he comes to you and you have conversations about stuff, but at this time with you and WWE, were you having any active conversations with him about giving him feedback or whatever that may have looked like? No, I, I know myself and Adam, uh, we're, we're friends now. We're probably closer now than we've ever been because we obviously work together and we had each other's numbers. We'd stay in contact some, but we weren't super close to that time. Gotcha. Once again, but I kind of kept up with him through the young bucks because I spoke to them constantly. He's in their periphery, so he's in their well. Periphery. Yeah, I mean, they're they're together. They're right. like they're they're like a group package, right? You know, like Hangman, the Bucks, and Kenny. They're a group package now. Well, he starts to finally find his own in AEW a little bit before the pandemic. He and Kenny Omega are on a roll as tag team champions. He cuts the cowboy shit promo, and yeah. all of a sudden, the whole crowd is chanting cowboy shit. And I think that's kind of the moment for me when I realized I was like, okay something's going to catch on here like we've seen it with so many wrestlers over the course of time austin 316 right mm -hmm. like and i'm not saying cowboy shit is austin 316 but it's it's an over no doubt chant for the audience yeah. to get behind people love it and with you delete like you knew once that caught on yeah. immediately everyone's so when you see cowboy shit happening because i'm sure you're paying close attention to aw at this point we're talking beginning 2020 you're yeah. almost ready to come in here did you see or say to yourself like okay this guy's got something here yeah i mean when him and kenny were teaming together and he they, they had a great run as tag team champs and you could really see he was one of the most elite workers in all of the world because they were killing it week in and week out and i know the match they had against the young bucks was absolutely amazing you know those guys murdered each other out yeah. there i know they were all so beat up because i talked to them the day after what did you think of that match because you're an all-time great tag team talent yourself do you consider that to be in the pantheon of greatest tag team matches in american wrestling history because a lot of people do uh, it's definitely one of, yeah one of the greatest tags uh, I would say ever, yeah. I mean, it was an amazing match. You no know, ifs, ands, or buts about it. And and the crowd was so into it. And the story that I loved about Hangman, which started right from the jump at the very beginning of AEW with, in the deal with Chris Jericho, it's just like he couldn't quite win the big one. You know, there was a disappointment. And that was able to, yeah. like, run on a parallel with Cowboy shit as that continued to get over more and more. And it was, like, a cool characteristic. But then there was also these self-doubt issues yeah. that were underlying in him, which he had to overcome. I don't think it can be stated enough. Obviously, for a match like that, the perfect dancing partners are the Young Bucks. They know each other so well, so that helps in everything. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of wrestling fans out there who are very tough on Kenny Omega. And I've never understood it because I think, personally, Kenny Omega is one of the greatest talents I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm sure you're probably in the same boat as me on that one. Yes, we're both in the same dilapidated boat <laughs> named Scarsgård. Kenny Omega, I think teaming with hangman did so much for his career and i think brought out hangman to a whole nother level what's your assessment on that 
I absolutely agree with that, that statement. And I, I think Kenny Omega is uh, an incredibly special talent. One of the best talents ever in the history of wrestling. And for the people that, that don't like him because of things he'd done in the past or being creative, it's just folks who deny that wrestling is entertainment in yeah. so many ways, you know, and, and, and they just need to get over that, you know, but it is what it is. I mean, they're, they're, they're free to have their own of opinion, course, their own take, obviously. But, you know, Kenny, without a shadow of a doubt, is one of the greatest of all time. No, and look, I know whenever whenever I bring up Kenny Omega, those are like the most mentions and tweets I get because he's such a polarizing oh, figure. Yes. And, and he is polarizing. And the young books are polarizing, too. Extremely polarizing. Uh, and one thing about Kenny, I, I never got to spend a lot of time around Kenny until I came to AEW, but I've really enjoyed getting to know him. And he, he's a really strange, unique guy. He reminds me of my brother in some ways. Yeah. Because he's just just so different. I agree. You know, he he's he's, he's almost he has this weird personality. It's like a cadence almost. Yeah, and and you never know what to expect from yeah. him. You know, but he's a super creative guy and also athletically he's just incredible. He can do anything. But he and Hangman have this really interesting story arc where yes. he he kind of pulls Hangman in and mentors him a little bit. Then things start to get a little rocky and there's a little turbulence simultaneously you debut in aw and i cannot wait to do an episode on that because that is going to be a really eye-opening episode <laughs> yeah and i'm very excited to do that but you debut this is in the pandemic era yes and aw is trying to come up with creative ways to, on the very first yes, aw dynamite first in the pandemic era completely empty daily's place which yes. is crazy but aw is trying to come up with ways to field through the pandemic and they come up with this idea called stadium stampede it's totally different. Yeah. We might be able to get an episode out of Stadium Stampede one day, but on a quick surface level, what were your impressions when that was first pitched? Whose idea was it? And I imagine that with you doing the broken character at the time, that had to kind of lend itself to it. Yeah, there they had the idea for the Stadium Stampede, and at first they weren't 100% sure what it was going to be. Because it, it was going to be blood and guts. At first, you were going to be yes. with the elite with blood and guts. Yes, that was mm -hmm. the initial plan, uh, which was going which to happen here in Newark, New Jersey, where we're at yes. right now, uh, as we tape this. But like, whenever Stadium Stampede was first talked about, I know there were a couple of ideas Tony had where we did something about some sort of fight on the football field that maybe had some sort of like rules that were regarding football, you know, interjected into this match. But then I remember talking with Jericho and the Bucks, and then we ended up just doing a cinematic match where we fought all over mm -hmm. the Jaguar Stadium. And, and I think that was best case scenario, especially considering the state of the world and how yeah. we get, you know, at, at that juncture, we could only have like a certain amount of people right. in one area at one crew. time. Yes, including crew. So it was a very tough, uh, a very tough scenario. Uh, that stadium stampede especially because of the times that'll go down as one of my favorite yeah. matches. Ever. We'll do an episode on that match. One no day, doubt. And it's no doubt. Be a total blast to go through, but you are teaming with hangman yes. all these years later. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. That you're getting a chance to do that. And hangman gets a special uh, little entrance here for this riding in delayed, but riding in on a horse. <laughs> what do you think of that? It just seems so great to me. Uh, it, it, it was so great. And I love the fact that he was able to incorporate our story with Sammy into this as well. He chases Sammy off yes, with the yes, horse, yes. much la uh, like myself <laughs> and Kenny Omega had ran him down with the golf cart just a little, a couple weeks earlier. And then mm -hmm. in that match uh, again, at the very end, we chase him again with the golf cart. Amazing. Outstanding. I, I'm so excited to talk about that match. Uh, let's fast forward though a few months. 
he and Omega have split at this point. They've lost the championships. The elite have more or less left him behind. Mm-hmm. And he's now drunken cowboy, no friends at all. He can't trust anyone. No one is ever there for him. And he's only, he, he's, he's the lone cowboy, right? And he thinks the most important thing, he lacks self-esteem. He thinks nothing yes. of himself. That's a really interesting arc to develop in. Did you have any thoughts watching that in the periphery? And I, I imagine you probably knew where the story ends at this point, yeah. but maybe not necessarily how you get there. Uh, I mean, I, I thought it was brilliant. And I thought he was so good at doing little things because the devil, you know, the devil's in the details. And uh, he, the little things he would do as far as showing lack of confidence or, you know, these, these self-doubt issues, he was so good at playing that very subtly. And I, I think while he was doing that, he was the best character in wrestling. One of the things that I've been pitching to all of you listening about this podcast is Matt is not afraid to talk about the nuances of storytelling and character development. Mm-hmm. I think of this a lot when I'm telling stories, especially in my TV news career, how you have to set a baseline that somebody has to start at in order to overcome adversity. That's like a really big thing. So AEW kind of puts him all the way down. When you're doing a story like that, right. how careful do you have to be in ensuring that the character doesn't overcome that adversity too quickly, but also at the same time that it's not drawn out too much to the point that people are like, I, I, you've lost the, the fire. In the yeah. Uh, yeah. So sometimes you really have to just feel it, as they say. You mm-hmm. know, there, there, a lot of guys will feel things in the ring. You know, when they're in the ring, they don't necessarily want to call the entire match because they'll listen to the crowd and react off the crowd. And, and literally it's called like feeling it. And I think with the characters, well, you have to have to feel things, you know? So guys have to have uh, a little hope here and there. It's almost like getting a heat on someone Mm -hmm. in a match. I think you can get heat on someone, but there are times where he needs to come back out and fight just so it doesn't get boring. I mean, same thing with that story. He needs to have like this glimmer of hope, but then he can get shut down again. You know, were you hoping at this point that you'd be able to play a part in that story? Uh, Yes. Without a doubt. I was looking forward to it because I I did think his character was one of the most layered, detailed, Mm -hmm. and really complex characters in all the business. And I I loved what he was doing because no one has ever done it that way. Well, at full gear 2020, Kenny defeats Hangman in finals of the AW world title Eliminator tournament. Really good match. I I like that match a lot. And I thought it was, I thought it was a nice precursor and set some nice callbacks for later down the line. He starts to then tangle with the Dark Order. Now, you have to keep in mind here, the Dark Order then is not the same Dark Order that we know now. The right. Dark Order was going through a little bit of a metamorphosis with the exalted one, Brody Lee, after having just essentially been a cult character. Right. And we will at some point do a Brody Lee episode because you are very much intertwined with the Exalted One stuff. And I think there's a lot to dive into. So I don't want to get into that too much right now. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks play a huge role in Hangman's run at the title. But in my opinion, the Dark Order became an enormous, if not even essential part of it. And it's clear at this point, though, they're just kind of fodders trying to recruit him. And it seems like they're setting up for some program between Hangman and Brody once Brody's ready to return. We obviously know that did not happen. Right. So what were your thoughts on the pairing at the time and the direction where it was looking like it was probably going? Uh, once again, I, I thought 
Hangman did a really great job of booking himself. Uh, obviously worked very close with Tony on that. And one thing I want to compliment Adam on is I feel like some people as professional wrestlers, especially if they have the Vince mentality and the Vince mentality is, is be strong, especially if you're a baby face. But I feel like he was courageous enough to not to be viewed as being someone who has these self-confidence issues, to be someone who is anxious. And, and I think it was also so successful because there's so many people in society that feel that way in this day and age. And I think it's a very relatable, real thing. But there's a lot of pro wrestlers who are big and tough, and they're like, I don't know, I can't do too much of that because it might make me look weak. And I think Adam did a great job at maintaining that. And I think the Dark Order thing really, they, they were, he feels like a misfit. The Dark Order almost felt like a bunch of misfits as well. So I feel like that's why their relationship worked well intermingling with one another. And I, and I also think it, uh, it, it gave him something great to play off of. Well, in the Dark Order, become misfits without Brody there because they're looking for a leader. Hangman is kind of, and, a and you have to think they're, they're misfits before Brody too. Correct. Brody's like, you know, going to whip all these guys in shape. That's mm -hmm. the whole reason you join the dark order. So especially with Brody not there, once again, they're back to just being kind of this weird group of misfits. Did you have any awareness of any potential plans for what they were supposed to be doing with hangman and the dark order versus when there was an obvious pivot made? Yes, they, the plan was originally to do Adam Page versus Brody. That was going to be the program. And then when we knew Brody was sick, obviously, uh, I ended up being plugged in there. We'd been through the pandemic, as I've mentioned in the past, Broken Matt Hardy, a very, a very fan-driven character. And it was just time for me to, to, to pivot, for sure. So sure. I pivoted into doing Big Money Matt. And then I was going to end up ultimately taking Brody's place in this program of working against Adam and then giving him a big win over a known star to keep moving on for the world title. And I want to make this clear, too. We're talking about this as if it's just like a traditional story of building a babyface. You're building a babyface with virtually no crowd to react to. And that's never been done in wrestling history before because there's never been a situation like this where a babyface didn't, they didn't have a crowd to react off of. So the peculiar nature of all of this where you have to be so careful with when you pick and choose your moments is really insane to think about it was an insane era of wrestling yeah. i mean it, the, having shows in front of no fans just it just feels wrong as i've said in the past it, it doesn't feel like pro wrestling but it's one of those things the show must go on and now we're playing to the tv audience and we were doing mm -hmm. all that we could to try and entertain them and try and have them keep up with our story and also feel a, a sympathy for, for this Adam Page character. But it, it's really hard because you don't get no instant barometer. Right. Well, you get and, no instant gauge. And it's almost like a subtlety that he's got no one to feed off. He is truly alone. Yeah. And that's where the Dark Order comes into play here. They become to come or they rather they begin to more actively recruit him and they start tagging with him a little right. bit. You eliminate him in the Dynamite Diamond Ring Battle Royal on December 2nd, 2020. Then you in private party defeat Hangman, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds on the December 16th episode of Dynamite. You and Hangman, towards the end of the match, start slugging away at each other. And Jim Ross, prophetically, remarks on commentary that this could be the beginning of a unique rivalry here in AEW between you and Hangman. Did you know at this point that you were actually going to have that pay-per-view match with Brody, who clearly was not coming back at this point? This is 
worth noting for anyone, this is the beginning of the heel turn with you and eventually private party as well. Yeah, the my first episode where I officially kind of was heel in the ring was that battle royal, mm -hmm. actually. And one of the first things I do is dumb my own man out, Isaiah, in the very beginning of the match, you know, when he's not looking. Uh, and I got rid of Adam there. And that was almost like the precursor. Let's lay the groundwork. Yeah, lay yeah. the groundwork and we're getting ready for our deal. Then we have the six man tag, obviously. So we knew we were going to build into that. We were just we went ahead and we laid the groundwork and then we we're going to really come up with a detailed plan that we could incorporate big money Matt into the story and take advantage of, you know, Adam's weaknesses. Yes. We lose Brody just after Christmas. The Dark Order turned babyface. All of them turned babyface as a result and we get that incredible tribute show that we will absolutely talk about one yeah. day and i i can't wait to because i think it's one of the greatest shows in wrestling history their baby faces you guys are officially heel and the collision course is set he declines a formal offer to join them on january 20th which is one of my favorite segments of all of last year and all of wrestling and big money matt sees a little bit of an opening here i love the little nuances of this storytelling. There are so many layers that had to be established and are currently being established before all this became official. So who do you credit that layered storytelling to? That was a combination of myself, Hangman, and Tony Khan. I mean, we were the three guys that, that were doing all that. And, and I know Tony had the idea. Um, Myself and Adam came up with the, the contract idea. I was I signed private party initially, first and foremost, just to establish the precedent that I was signing people to a contract and I was going to take a percentage of their money because this is something that really happened to me, as you know, and we'll talk about this later, but the Italian stallion, yes. when he would take myself and my brother to do uh, enhancement work at WWE, he would take 66% of each one of our paydays. <laughs> and instead of putting two guys in a room, he'd put six people in a room, seven people in a room. You know, he was making all the cash. Yeah. So that was my whole motivation behind Big Money Matt. So I established that by having a precedent of signing. Got it. Isaiah and Mark Wynn. Got it. And then I was going to attempt to sign Adam. And then myself and Adam, we talked about this. This, this was our creative. We, this wasn't a Tony thing. I know this was myself and, and Hangman that came up with this about me going to try and sign him and him switching out the deal. And then I signed and then he puts me in a peculiar situation. Yes. Um, but it was Tony's idea to do this rivalry and somehow try and fool, try and take advantage of his insecurities, try and fool him to join me. And then we'll find out a way to turn around and have a match. I want to keep moving here, but when you get that tap on the shoulder that you're going to play an instrumental role in this guy's run as becoming a top baby face, given your history together, I have to imagine that was really special for you. Yeah, that, that was cool. I, I was very excited and, and I look forward to that match a lot. And I was excited about the angle because uh, working with him, as I'd said, I think he's one of the, the greatest character inventions of the last few years. You know, And I, and I love what, what he was willing to do as far as thinking out of the box. So yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. So January 27th, Hangman defeats Ryan Nemeth. You make your way down to the ring after it. Nice suit, popped collar. You get in there with Tony Schiavone. You tell Hangman, you saw how he got burned by the elites. You're bringing that doubt in yeah. there in his head right away. You mentioned the Dark Order recruiting thing was an awkward situation. You offer your personal dressing room to him. You say it's much bigger than the Dark Orders. Yeah. And the Dark Order gets mad at this. They start tweeting at you and you respond back, quote, I'm very hurt. Some think my words and actions towards Hangman Page on Dynamite weren't genuine. And then you attached a picture to it. This pick is from 2013. I booked Adam on an Omega card. Adam is a good man who's conflicted. I just want to help. That's it. 
So can all the weird hashtag dark order people stop tweeting me? I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember that promo very well. And I tried to, when I put the thought in my head of what I wanted to say that night, mm-hmm. I wanted the promo to sound like I'm being very genuine, like being just a good human being yeah. to someone who is down on their luck. And that was the whole, the whole goal behind that. Like, I, I didn't want to sound like a, a hokey hill. And I remember the last line, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was like, you're a good person and you deserve to be happy because he hadn't been happy because the whole thing happened uh, with, with, with the elite where he'd felt on his own. And I was like, okay, I can do this, like be very genuine, sincere. Mm-hmm. And then if I can suck this guy in, sign him, do the deal. And I remember that was my mindset on that particular promo. And that also coincided with the BTE uh, yes. segment as well with uh, Alan Angels, who was trying to make Hangman his Valentine, I think. Well, we're seeing two things here in the storytelling, which it's really hard to pull off congruent storytelling in general, especially in wrestling. There's conflict within Hangman Page, and simultaneously, we're seeing the genesis of Big Money Matt here. How difficult is it to pull off congruent storytelling? I I mean, I think these went hand in hand. I mean, it it was more or less like... uh, you know, you have myself and you have the Dark Order and we're both trying to vie for Hangman Page, sure. you know, and, and we're both trying to win him over. Obviously, their intentions were good. Mine, not so good, you know, so that was fun and it worked perfectly. And he was a great person for me to to build upon as to be a heel. So you guys team together next week, you beat Chaos Project. Yes. You go to a bar. You yeah, were, but uh, even with the Chaos Project, also remember he wins with the Buckshot Lariat, and yes. I tag myself in yes, and get did. the cover, and that was kind of my mo. Like I own, you know, even looking back at that, I remember talking about that. I was like, would I do this because I might like stooge myself off? I said, but I think it's kind of right being the heel and mm-hmm. the bad guy. I would obviously want to win this match. Right. So I remember we had a we had a discussion about that. Should I do it in this match or should I play it straight? And we're like, no, I think I should like kind of show my hand. Let's a little make bit. it clear, right? And, and be a little bit of a heel, like so he knows. Plus, it was a great precursor before going to that bar to celebrate that he knew to be on the, you know, he knew to be on the lookout. He knew I was looking to, uh, to, to swerve him. There's a lot of thought put into that, and I appreciate that as a fan. So you go to the bar, you allegedly sign Hangman to a deal that will see you take 30% of his earnings while representing him. But the next week, after you two beat TH2, Jackson Duvall comes out with the contract, the Jaguars mascot, and some balloons. And Hangman reveals that he, in fact, switched out the contracts while you were talking to the camera at the bar. <laughs> you signed an agreement for a match at Revolution instead. Now, if you lose, he gets 100% of all your earnings from quarter one of 2021. You That's ask- $900,000 worth of charity money. $900,000. You ask- Damn you, Hangman. <laughs> you ask for the same thing in return if you agree to this match. And just like that, we got our first ever AW money match isaiah cassidy though is revealed to be jackson duvall the jaguars mascot he blindsides hangman and this i love this so much you offer th2 3700 dollars to kick hangman's ass in the moment this is one of the things that i love about aw storytelling it's a common critique from some but i love personally how niche some of this stuff is like it feels straight out of like Adult Swim or Aqua Teen Hunger Force, $3,700 to me. This screams that's your creative and coming up from that. It's a very specific number, almost like $3,725. Go kick his ass, like, like something like that. I, 
imagine that comes from you. Uh, th- that was fun. There was a lot going on in that. Yeah. And it's funny. Some of the Dow Hard fans, they, they had a hard time with that segment, you know, especially like on, <laughs> on, on social on. media. There's a lot yeah. going on. But like if you pay attention, you can you can you can get it all. And, and I think there's a lot of fans that appreciated that segment as well, because once again, we're like telling this super complex story, but you got to pay attention. It's not just simple pro wrestling. It's not good guy versus bad guy. It's no. very complex. Um, I'll never forget uh, Isaiah being dressed up as the mascot. That was Tony's idea. And I thought it was great. It's like, oh, my God, that's that's perfect. We can do that. And then once again, we referenced one of the few times that these things happened. That was on TV the week before where he swapped out the contract. I was actually a smart wrestling character and I'd watched yes, the TV show. Mm-hmm. So I knew. He had got me. I didn't know what it was for, but I knew he'd got me for something. You were prepared. So I was prepared. I knew that I had to kick his ass in some way, shape, or form. So I had Isaiah lined up there. And then the thing with TH2, where I yelled out $3,700, that, that was totally, that was my call. 100%. Uh, that, that was my idea. I, I was like, I feel like big money, Matt, if he just says random amounts Arbitrary of money. Arbitrary amounts I've, of money, right? I've, I've done that a few times, which I love. Like no set amount, not a sensible amount, just something random. Just out of the blue. It's that line from Anchorman where Veronica says, I'm 72% sure that I should be with other men right now. It's just you pick an arbitrary number right. and it fits into it. I knew. And, that and, and, and we ended up doing that with TH2 because I, I want to say there was Mark Quinn. There was They're like, really good, man. TH2 is really talented. There was, uh, yeah, it's and, and Helicos. I love in Helicos stuff that he does now, the way he wrestles. And it's almost like he'll do this joint manipulation. I, I love his style of wrestling. But with TH2, there was a situation where Mark Quinn wasn't able to come to TV because of a family issue or travel or whatever. Uh, so we were kind of down for men on, on this situation. So that's why we ended up utilizing TH2. So I would have the number so we could really kind of beat him up like sure. a gang. Mm-hmm. So that was the whole reason that came to be. And it ended up after that, Tony said, well, do you like those guys? Should I put them with you? And I was like, yeah, yeah sure. I said, I'm I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can. You're, you're building the, your brand here. It makes sense that you have more people. And, and I think with me, I mean, I'm using these guys to, to make money. So why wouldn't I? Sure. Why, would, why wouldn't I have as many as possible? Let's take a time out here. And while we normally have a lot of fun on this show, this is a pretty serious topic. Life insurance, specifically Goliath life insurance. Let me give you a pro tip. We're all going to die. So before you get a visit from The Undertaker, Think just for a second about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow with life insurance from goliathlife.com. What we're really talking about is protecting what you've worked so hard to provide for both you and more importantly, your family. You see, life insurance isn't about you. It's about those who matter the most to you. Sure. You do a great job taking care of them now, but who would do that if something awful happened to you? I just lost two friends in the last year and a half, one 42 with two kids, the other 46 who left behind a wife and three kids. Thank God they had insurance. And Hey, I hear you. Nobody wants to think or talk about life insurance, but think about this. You might not get in a car accident, but you have auto insurance. You might not get sick, but you have health insurance. So we'll protect our car and we'll even protect ourselves from like crazy medical bills. But will we protect our family? That's what life insurance means to me. Peace of mind. Goliathlife.com streamlines the life insurance purchase process by allowing you to get quotes from more than 20 carriers all at the same time and at the same place. Goliathlife.com. You'll do a fast and easy application and have multiple quotes within minutes. And oh, by the way, Goliathlife.com has solutions for every budget and maybe best of all, 
You pick your terms and payments at goliathlife.com. Once you pick your price, you can start the online application immediately and check this out. You can even schedule the medical exam to happen in your home. You don't even have to leave the house to do this. And yes, I have done this. I sent someone to my office. It was fast. It was easy. And it was unlike anything I expected. I got to skip the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations, and even the multiple visits to the doctor's office that we all hate so much. Goliathlife.com makes buying life insurance simple. Goliathlife.com promises no hidden fees, no upsell, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliathlife.com is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. So I think one of the most important things that you can possibly do is get a good night's sleep. And science tells us that the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. Temperature controlled sleep, well, that restores testosterone levels, repairs muscles after a hard day's work, and improves cognitive function so you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. So I want to tell you about Chili Sleep. Now, Chili Sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well being. Chili Sleep makes the Uller and Cube Sleep Systems hydropowered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. You ever feel uncomfortable at night because it's too cool or too hot? That is no longer a problem. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or you sleep cold. Now, these sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day no matter what stands in your way. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. I know that seems like a crazy concept, but chilly sleep can very much help make that happen. For an extra layer of comfort, they also make the chilly blanket, the only weighted blanket that can also be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. Now, if you know me and you've been following me for years, I'm always tweeting about it and putting on social. I do not sleep well. At least, I didn't sleep well until I started using Chili Sleep products. These things help you get comfortable. I'm always tossing and turning. Not anymore. So head over to ChiliSleep.com forward slash Hardy to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively for the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy podcast listeners and only for a limited time, that is chillysleep.com forward slash Hardy to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every single day. That's Chili, C-H-I-L-I. Well, the next week, Hangman defeats Isaiah, but you throw Alan Angels from the Dark Order off the stage through a table. He takes a hell of a bump. The next week... Hangman and Silver defeat you and Mark Quinn when he hits the buckshot lariat on Quinn right in front of your face. But then a brawl erupts after you lay out he and Silver. So I thought right away when I saw that right. live watching this, I'm like, that is going to be the story of their match. That something with the finish, the buckshot lariat is going to play into their match. Did you know at that point that it would? Or was that something as a result of this that you guys tried to build off of? Uh, I knew that match that I was having with him, once again, wasn't about me at all. Mm -hmm. 
it was going to be about him. And obviously, uh, I was going to put him over clean, and the finish was going to be that buckshot lariat. So, yes, we did, we did want to highlight that. We yeah. wanted to emphasize that. Uh, almost going back to that Ring of Honor match, mm-hmm. you know, when uh, I said that match wasn't about Adam at all. It was about me and what they were going to do for me going forward. The match we were going to have ultimately gave me a good match, and it was going to show that I could still hang or could still sure. go, whatever. But it wasn't about me. It was all about Hangman, and it was my job to help get him ready for his next step and eventually the AEW world title. So we go to March 7th. 2021 at Daly's place for AW Revolution. I was at this show. This is you, you were you were there. I was I was at this show. Very good. I was in the upper deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the biggest crowd for a wrestling show to this point in the pandemic. I'm on, yeah, I can't tell you how nice it was to have some. It was only like 1,500 sort of audience. Yeah. I mean, but 1,500 is ten times better than zero. <laughs> I was also at the show when you and Sammy had the thing when you came off the or he came off the scaffolding and you had to go up there so we'll talk about that oh, yeah, too yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point yeah. at all, um, all out. i was in florida for the pandemic so I, I was at a lot of aw shows but um this is of course the show headlined by the infamous exploding barbed wire death match between john moxley and kenny omega would you ever do a barbed wire exploding death match uh yeah wire. i mean i i i never say never okay right. you know but just just if tony Khan's listening to this there you go yeah <laughs> i never say never <laughs> The promo video for this match is just as memorable as the match for me. Uh, the I mean promo video is complimentary, re- right? really good. Yeah, it laid out the feud really well. Yeah, because the feud wasn't all that long. You kind of got it together pretty quickly. It was about a month, and it's highlighted by Hangman getting very frank with the camera, running you down, and saying, "Quote, <laughs> talking about you." Finally, he's showing the world who he truly is. And that's a money grabbing carny son of a bitch piece of shit asshole. Amazing. Please read that one more time. Finally, he's showing the world who he truly is. And that's a money grabbing carny son of a bitch piece of shit asshole. I love it. This is as good as hard times, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. In the arena, we thought it was the funniest thing backstage. Uh, it's tremendous. Did it you know that so he good. said this leading up to before seeing this? I, I did. We actually. We did these interviews together. Yeah, we shot these interviews uh, on the same day that we shot the bar scene in different Mm -hmm. locations. So I was there for for both, uh, you know, for uh, he was there for my interview. Mm -hmm. I was there for his interview. So I I did hear the line and I popped huge. Is that the greatest compliment you've ever received? I think so. (laughs) Well, let's get to that. I'm going to get that on my tombstone. (laughs) You know, honestly, with Rebby, she might be down to put that on your tombstone. (laughs) She probably would. She'll just throw she'll throw a little bit of a couple Spanish words in there. And we'll be set. Glad <laughs> okay, see. Now, <laughs> Hangman gets things Bendejo. going. <laughs> Marty Hardy is going to be oh. chanting that. <laughs> That's be careful. Yeah. yeah. Hangman gets things going early, stomping a mud hole at you. He hits a beautiful fallaway slam. I love that he does a fallaway slam. It's such an old school wrestling move, but I love it. And he immediately teases the buckshot lariat. Now, I love this in matches when he teases the finish early because yes. it kind of sets up a pretty easy story to follow. Mm-hmm. They're really playing up on commentary how many more years and mileage you have on him. Yeah. Do you appreciate that from commentary when they, they set the groundwork like that? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think it's a, it's a very important part of the story, you know, and it, because they it's their job to make me as much of a threat uh, to put him in as much jeopardy as they possibly can be a commentary. And I think that that helps out. I mean, I've done this dance a million times. So maybe this young guy who in the big scheme of things is a rookie compared to me still, you know, might, might get got by the vet. 
you eventually get back up on him. You sandwich his fingers in the steps. Now, Shivani makes a comment about how this may prevent him yes. from hitting the buckshot Larry. I loved that detail. We actually buzzed Tony Shivani and the commentary team right before that. just to tell him that was our the story we were telling. I was just going to yeah. ask you about that. So you give him the Iggy that, hey, this is kind of the story we're trying yes. to tell. I, I know JR has talked about this. He doesn't like knowing the finish. Is Tony Shivani someone who does like knowing the finish of what's coming ahead? Uh, I, I I don't know that yeah. specifically. I, I know they like knowing details. If there's a certain story you're trying to sure. tell, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll like hearing that. And I, I almost feel like it is better off if they don't know the finish. I, I feel like you get I a more genuine play, reaction. I, I don't like knowing unless I need to. Yeah, know, yeah. And I, yeah, I, I mean, I would be that. the same. I'd be the same way. So you go to work on his fingers and it seems silly on the surface, but and you just kind of mentioned with Angelico, so I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. I feel like finger mutilation always looks brutal. Like Pete Dunn's really good at it. Yeah. And I feel like when you get the camera zooming in on that, you're twisting their joints. And it's a pretty effective story to tell. Yeah, joint manipulation. Uh, I, I, I do. I mean, it's a very simple thing. But like if he can't grab that rope to pull himself in and get all the extra momentum, then it takes away the buckshot lariat. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to tell. Jeff has earlobe manipulation. Yeah. And that was gnarly anyway. Uh, so he does a great reversal on the side effect into a crucifix pin. Back to the ropes he goes, but he's teasing that he can't hit the lariat. I'm going to tell you a quick story on that too. I, I'd watch the match back because just to refresh my memory, I'll just jog it. Uh, we thought he was going to get straight up into it, but it's so crazy how he kind of like went long ways and got a little it looked wonky, awesome. but it was so cool. Look real. Uh, we, we we were almost worried because the way we were doing it with the momentum, it was one of those things where we both had to be like perfectly balanced and we almost lost our balance, but it looked wonky, but it was totally cool because it's like a UFC counter. It's a struggle. It was one of my one of my favorite things. It's a fight. Yeah. So he's teasing that he can't hit the lariat because he can't get a grip on the ropes. Really great small detail in the storytelling there. Yeah, he was he was very good and consistent the whole match. But here's my his hand. question to that. When you're doing it so much in a match, because you do it a lot, mm -hmm. do you run the risk of oversaturating it a little bit? Well, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think as long as it's different, I think if you work a body part like a hand, as we were doing in this match, if you, if you keep it fresh, you keep it different, and you don't do the same things over and over, if it's not overly repetitive in the way you work the hand, I think it's okay. Especially if you tell the story, especially if you're trying to build this obstacle that the good guy in the match has to overcome. And that was our goal there. Twist of the fate on twist of fate on the outside. It looked brutal. I feel like that hurts you just as much as it hurts him. You're taking that big back bump on the outside. They, it, it probably hurts me more in reality. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> you get a little heat on him. And that's, I, I know to you, when I say that, that sounds really remedial to you and I, but there's probably a lot of wrestling fans out there. And again, the beauty of the extreme life of Matt Hardy is Matt's totally willing to go into how we're, laying out a match here so why is it so important to get that heat on the baby face i saw a bully ray recently tweeted it's it's something that has worked it's a tale as long as time or oldest sure. time whatever this saying yeah. is shine heat come back so getting that heat on him why is that so critical to the storytelling of the match i like any good story if you really want to get behind a hero they have have to go through some kind of adversity I mean, and that's more or less what a wrestling match is. I mean, if if a hero just like kicks ass the whole while, then there's nothing to overcome. There's really no reason to get behind him. Like he's already got it, you know. Right. So it's like you try and get sympathy 
on this baby face and you want to see them come from behind and win. And that's the whole motivation. Behind it. It's simple storytelling. I mean, there has to be, there has to be like a, you know, a, a valley and then a peak. Yeah. Hangman does such an amazing job selling the right arm and the hand in this match. Even he does the moonsault to the outside yeah. and he whips into the barricade and sells his arm hitting the barricade. Just such a small detail, but he, he's so good at it. Yes. And, and I thought that was a really great, element thrown into the match there private party tries to interfere becomes three on one it's it's a rick knox match so anything goes in that case he just poor rick knox gets such a hard time I, I, that's me joking but i know i know it is though, but he does I just i always see that on social media yeah. they're like oh it's a rick knox match. anything goes now um it's because he's the tag team guy he is the yeah. tag team guy exactly um that is me just ripping for the record <laughs> he disposes of private party he always is doing his job well and Hangman tries to hit the buckshot lariat on you, and you catch him with the side effect, twist of fate near fall. I thought the sequence here totally ruled, and you told me that that yeah. was like one of your favorite parts. That was my match. favorite favorite spot in the match. Yeah. yeah, my favorite sequence, and the crowd the crowd reacted to it so mm -hmm. yeah. so perfectly, yeah. just as I would envision it. Especially considering it wasn't a full house. Mm -hmm. If there was a way in my mind, I envisioned if this goes perfectly, this is how it will sound. And it sounded just that way. So that was great. Are you cognizant at this point that you guys put on a real strong match here? I, I, we, we did. I, you know, I don't know what the AW diehards are going to think about it because often they won't go, 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 spot, 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 go, 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 go. And we were doing more of a, a, a storytelling job. And I think at his core, I think Adam is more of a storyteller than a go, 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 go guy. And I think that's part of the old school that shines in. Him. And is that something that you've had to adapt to over the years as your body has changed that you can do more story driven? Oh, matches? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's what I had to change whenever I burn out all the way, which is an episode we'll do at some point in, you know, 2010, 2011, yeah. 2011. Like, I just realized coming back, like, I have to change my style. Yeah. You know, like, I can't, you can't be 25 forever. That's true. You know, and, yeah. and just learning how to change my style and be a more character driven personality and also like working a simpler match is, is things I had to kind of retrain myself to do. Mariah had a back spasm walking my 10 pound Bijan Frise yesterday. So if I had to deal with that, I can't even imagine <laughs> what you've had to overcome. John, I, I, I hate to say this, but I say it to the young bucks all the time. Uh, I don't think anybody could live a day in my body. No, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I, between you and Jeff, the two of you, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> So there's a great story that's being told here right. after this near fall. You hit two finishers. He hasn't hit one and he's been trying to hit. Right. And also, I just want to say it was my total intention. We wanted to get in one extremely believable near fall on my end where mm -hmm. it seemed like I was going to win the match. And I knew my job was to, to do all I could mm -hmm. to elevate Hangman in this match. So I remember specifically, I said, let me give you the side effect. I don't want to cover come up, twist of eight, kick out of both of yeah. them mm -hmm. back to back because I've and won. That's really selfless of you to do too. Yeah. A lot of guys are very protective. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they are, you know, but it's, it's one of those things now where the, the twist of eight has been kicked out of a few times. Uh, and, and that's okay because it's still established. People will always buy it as a finish because it is just such so well known as my finish, but like I wanted him to look strong and the side effect into the twist of eight, which I've built, I've beat a ton of people with. I've probably won hundred matches that way. So I was like, just kick the fuck out, you know, and let's yeah. go into that comeback and then get your shit in. And that, that was, that was my uh, selfless offer sure. to try and make him look as strong as possible. Even big money, Matt can be selfless. Even big money, that? Matt once in a while. So the moment we all know is coming actually happens. 
Dark Order is out to even the odds. Right. You Bandera Hangman to the outside, clubbing blow. And for the first time in Hangman's story, someone is there for him. The Dark Order have his back. He falls onto them. The timing is perfect of this. And you guys, I'm sure, were so nervous about nailing the timing because like, if, if the timing's not there, this whole thing falls apart. Yeah. They're right there for him. They shoot him back up. You're getting your bearings. Buckshot Lariat. It is so fluid and crisp. One, two, three. I remember being live with my buddy, and we were like, that ruled so hard, that finish. Yeah. It was so pretty. It was one of my favorite finishes in 2021 in wrestling, period. How awesome did it feel to pull that off? Because that's a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. You got to nail that. Yeah, I was super happy with the finish. Um, the finish was an idea that Hangman had. And I thought it was so great because he was like literally and figuratively someone was there for him to like catch him and, and, and pick him back up, so to say. So that's the first time that someone's been there for him. Yeah. Yeah. It really stood out. And, and, and also the, the, that buckshot lariat, I just want to add, he lays that thing in. Mm -hmm. It comes in. It's very, very <laughs> stiff. It's in there. So be ready to bump is all I can say because he's coming with it. Well, and one thing we didn't even talk about, he was bleeding from the mouth too. He got popped. Do you remember where he got busted open at that point? I, I actually, just happened I actually don't. Point. Yeah. I mean, that happens and that never hurts and adds to the realism. Yeah, of, of course. And uh, Dave Meltzer gave us three and a half stars. Uh, I thought that's kind of right in the wheelhouse for this match. It was a story driven match. Mm -hmm. And I thought the story was told really, really well, looking oh, back you. on it and watching it back. Was this the first time you had a chance to watch it back in a while? Uh, it, it'd been a while. Yeah, yeah. it'd been a while. What I do you watched think of it watching it back. Uh, I, I loved it. I mean, you know, I, I feel like the further you get away from a match, mm. uh, if you're pretty happy with it initially, the further you get away from it, you usually like it a little even more. Uh, one thing I wanted to add to this, too, that we also threw in on a BTE, which originally was going to be Brody that sent the text from Hangman's phone to the Young Bucks, which kind of broke them up. But once again, I stepped into that role entirely. And then I ended up being the guy revealed as the guy who sent him the text yeah. that took him away from the Young Bucks. Mm -hmm. And then that, that also gave me some great justification for breaking them up, what I wanted to do, get them to myself, whatever. And it also helped me as a hill as well, because it was a real shitty act. And, and people loved seeing those guys together. And it, it, it played right into the story we were telling the Hangman as well. I would agree with that entirely. Well, that was the match. And we know how the rest of the story unfolds. He reignites his feud with the elite. He and the Dark Order become a unit. Mm -hmm. He goes away for a little while to welcome his first kid. So they cast some doubt that he's not going to get to come up in son Kenny Omega. But on October 6th, he returns as the Joker in the number one contendership casino ladder match featuring you, Andrade El Idolo, Pac, Lance Archer, Orange Cassidy, and John Moxley in Philadelphia. You're in that match. I texted you beforehand. I said, please be careful. You ignored that. You didn't care. Uh, you hit a leg drop on Orange Cassidy off a ladder through a table. That feel okay? You all right? Yeah, that's okay. great. Yeah. Okay. I was too, I was too busy sure. getting ready for my no, match, no, John. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> when I say don't, I, you didn't physically ignore me. I meant you figuratively ignored me saying be careful because <laughs> you went and did that. Um, but anyway, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on the casino ladder match concept? Because I imagine that that's like right in your wheelhouse and it's totally cool and different. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's cool that AW has put a different spin mm -hmm. on their ladder match, yeah. which just makes it stand out a little bit. It kind of makes it their own original creation. 
you know, and, and which it is. I think that's one of the most important things about it. Sometimes those casino battle royals can be tricky where guys come like in, in mm-hmm. waves five at a time or whatever. Yeah. But like the casino ladder match, I really enjoyed yeah. that format. I well, thought it was good. And it gives him the moment because he's the Joker. Everyone yeah. knows he's the Joker. Yeah. But but the ovation is earth shattering. It shakes the camera and it's massive and he gets the win to a huge ovation. What was that like being in the match and hearing that ovation for him? Yeah, I mean, that was great. I was so, yeah. so, so happy for him, you know, and I knew he had taken time off to have his first child anyway, you know, which that is great. He's such a great dad and he's so proud of his kid. And after you become a dad, it really makes you have so much love for other guys who are just getting to yeah, experience, experience that, that right? it's just it's the best thing ever because it is so life-changing it's difficult but it's very life-changing too and he's a good dude that's very deserving of it then the big moment finally comes full gear in minneapolis i was there for that as well he is finally crowned aw world heavyweight champion in a match that gets five and a half stars from dave Meltzer. i <laughs> thought this was a near perfect match for the story that was told. Uh, it, was, it was great. What was your impression of the match and the moment that he gets the win and that ovation, having seen Hangman Page's journey, having played a part in that, how special did that feel? I, I mean, I thought it was excellent. You know, uh, they, they, they killed it. I would expect nothing less from Kenny and Adam, you know, but they went out there and absolutely killed it. And it was nice to have this story that has spanned now over years you know, to be paid off in such a great and perfect match, literally perfect between the match and the storytelling. And that's the Hangman Page story. And that it's so Hangman cool story, looking yeah. back on that and revisiting it. And one of the elements of the extreme life of Matt Hardy that I really like doing with you is educating. And I think you've given a lot of education on ring psychology through this match, but looking at it on a more micro level, what can aspiring wrestlers take from Hangman as a performer and the journey that he's going on? Because it's a very frustrating journey at times. There's a lot of learning that has to be done on the way. And he's the perfect case in point of someone who maybe didn't have an identity at first, found himself, and then yeah. executed the story to the end. I, I think one of the most important things, if, if you're a wrestler, there are going to be times where you're discouraged uh, and you're going to go through challenging periods, but you just have to stay at it and you have to stick to your guns. Uh, you always try new and creative things. You try and insert different levels, uh, different layers that might make you more interesting or whatever. But like, if you have something and you feel like it's working, stick with it because it will, you really have to stick with it and be dedicated. All right, Matt. Well, we got a few minutes here to answer some fan questions as we Super do every over. episode here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. All you gotta do is hashtag ask Matt. And you'll be able to submit those and you might get your question read on air. So Chris asks, when you guys did the stadium stampede and Hangman came riding in the stadium on the horse, who came up with chiming in fan chants for horse, horse, horse? That was hilarious. And he also says the contract signing segment with switching contracts was brilliant. I I am not sure who came up with that idea of horse, horse, horse. Uh, <laughs> I, I would guess it was either... Adam Page or Tony Khan, mm-hmm. one, one of those two. And the, the contract switch was, was so great. And, and this is one of the most amazing things about AAW. We went to the location. We went to this bar in Jacksonville. We were uh, obviously still taping during the pandemic there. We were in Daly's place. But when we went down there, we had spoke with Tony very briefly, and we knew we were somehow going to set up this match. And then literally it was up to us how to do it. And it was Adam and I putting our heads together. We talked for like 20, 30 minutes. And this is the plan that we came up with. 
And, and it's so cool because like something like this, that was your own idea, own creation would have never been to, would never have been allowed to happen organically like he did on that night yeah. in WWE. So, you know, Tony puts a lot, a lot of faith in his guys. Yeah. A lot of places wouldn't give that kind of creative yeah. liability. So that's pretty cool that you were able to do that. Uh, a wrestling historian asks, how much beer can Hangman drink? I uh, I think Hangman can drink a couple beers, but I I don't think he can drink a huge amount. I feel like uh, when it comes to the whole cowboy drunk persona, it's a much more of a work persona. Gotcha. Okay. He 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 uh, he's taking care of himself. He wants to be a happy dad, happy and healthy dad for a long time. Adam asks, uh, many have said Hangman reminds them of a young Magnum TA, but out of the people you've worked with in the past, who do you feel is a good comparison when it comes to Hangman? Oh, that's it. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I would almost, there's a part of me in some ways that almost felt like hangman, he can do bigger things, but he was, he's so solid and his work looks so solid. He always reminded me a little bit of Bret Hart in some ways, Interesting. just because he's a very fundamentally solid wrestler. Just when that buckshot Larry comes, he also reminded me of JBL because whenever he comes with that, that uh, buckshot Larry did at the very end, it's, it's going to be in there. And you definitely have to know uh, it's going to be a hard bump. So, so be ready to take your bump. <laughs> uh, let's see. We got ringside rant as saying, Matt, how do you think hangman would have been booked in the late nineties and two thousands WCW and WWE? So attitude era. How do you think hangman page would have been presented? Now I, I think if, it, if hangman page would have been around and been a guy who was getting a major push during the attitude era, you would have seen, a ton of him being shit-faced drunk mm -hmm. doing skits. I'm positive of that. And I know something that they actively tried to avoid, Tony and Adam, was having, like, this sad, drunk person who, like, ends up being a loser because of his drinking. They, they never wanted to get to that. I think you, they always wanted to, to put that idea out there that he had these self-doubt issues and that maybe that did lead to him drinking some, but you never wanted him to be, like, this sad, pathetic drunk who has, like, this major problem. And, and they were always very careful about how they walked that line. And I think that was very important as well. And I think that was a great job of storytelling. We did when I thought I was getting him drunk, you know, but he still was smart to me and he switched to do it. It just still showed that he had his wits about him. Michael asked, was there anything you have tried to teach Adam Page during your time in AEW? And is there anything specific he's taught you? I feel like a lot of the guys that are at AEW now, including Hangman Page, uh, help me think in a different format as far as the way wrestling works a little differently now it's like a different formula it's a new more modern formula especially with the way you you work a story and i think whenever we put together that match uh, adam was also very smart about doing it the way we structured it as far as like we didn't do a ton of things that were like boom 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 because i feel like i excel more if i don't have to be put in that scenario in this age, especially being older mileage on my body whatever uh, and I, I thought the match was constructed very, very wise. I thought it was really good. Uh, it was, it was storytelling heavy, but also there was a ton of action in it and a ton of really great, crisp, exciting moves as well. So, yeah, I would say, I think Adam has kind of, uh, helped me to think differently as far as structuring matches and, and almost the way to, to interact with characters and angles. We got two more for you. John Law Hastings asks, out of all the Cowboys ever in pro wrestling, who are the top? let's say three out of all the Cowboys in wrestling. And you can include hangman if you'd like to. Very interesting. Um, I would say you got to put Stan Hansen in there. Okay. Um, 
Oh, for an overall quality worker of a cowboy, I, I mean, Hangman Page is undeniable. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you got to stick him in there. Right now, he's 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 the present, and he will be the future as the world champion of AAW. Who's number three? And for number three, I am going to put in there as a cowboy. There's Bob Orton. There's JBL. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I was thinking about both of those. I'm almost going to go with uh with with uh, Cowboy Bob Orton. Okay. Just because uh, he he ran that cast gimmick, man, was, for the longest time. Good so, stuff. so he was a true heel. And our last question comes from Jordan. Unlike episode one, where everyone in the match is a, quote, young buck in the storyline with Hangman, you're now the veteran who's supposed to help the young talent get over. What lessons did you take from veterans in your day to help you do that? Uh, I, I think the lesson I learned from veterans in my day was like to to be more giving. I mean, just like I said, when I wanted him to kick out of like the side effects and twist of fate, like people know the deal with wrestling now, especially I feel like the people who watch wrestling more than ever are just diehard wrestling fans. And I think they eventually get it. They know like, Oh, well, this guy's trying to help a younger talent, whatever. And if they don't, maybe they will after hearing this interview, but like, I know back then guys were super protective of like, you know, their finishes, their moves, their spots, their character, everything. I just try and not be as protective. I try to be smart about my things, but also want to be very giving. And I do want to be selfless. And if there's things that I can do that isn't going to damage me like long haul, I definitely don't mind sacrificing that to help a young guy. It's my job. It's my responsibility. Well, I had an absolute blast looking back on this cowboy shit run here with Hangman Adam Page. And I I think you provided a lot of good insight. Again, a lot of people probably don't associate you with Hangman Page right away, but it's clear that you've played some role in his journey and he's someone that very much means something to you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the story that I did with him is is one of my favorite stories that I've done in AEW. I mean, like you said, it wasn't long, but I loved how it was was so thorough and it was so complex and and there were so many little details and and subtle nuggets in it. I love that about storytelling. I did too. And I think a lot of fans did as well. And I hope everyone listening to this enjoyed episode two of the extreme life of Matt Hardy. You can find this show every single place you get your podcast. Subscribe now. How many stars should they leave us, Matt? Five stars? Yeah, I mean, let's I just go. Let's go five and a half. Five and a half. Just you like, know, like Meltzer said. Kenny. <laughs> let's make this a little better than perfect. I like that as well. Breaking the star system for the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Leave a review. We love getting your feedback. Send your tweets at Matt Hardy Pod. We love listening to what you guys have to say about the podcast. It's it's super important. Matt and I are very cognizant of the things that you guys say, and we want to hear what you guys have to add. So please, as long as you're polite. Polite, polite's important. Yeah, right? it's all right. I mean, and if you want to criticize, just give yeah. us constructive criticism. Yeah, constructive. And thank you guys all so much for uh, tuning in and joining us. I, I hope you were enjoying these. I'm certainly enjoyed doing them. Yes. Uh, so I hope you guys uh, have uh, enjoyed this and learned something from the discussion. Thank you guys for joining us every week. Absolutely, Matt. And next week we are talking the tag team tables match royal rumble 2000 the first one ever the hardy boys versus the dudley boys madison square garden it does not get any bigger than that here on the extreme life of mad hardy things were spoken and now we're broken we'll see you guys next time on the extreme life of mad hardy adios My skin's dying because you're under it. Ah!